Pelvic Rehab Research Podcast. My name is Becca Bissadolshensky, and I'll be your host guiding you as we take a deep dive into all things pelvic floor and research-based. Whether you're a pelvic newbie or a seasoned clinician, I'm here to help busy therapists listen through the Women's Health Study Guide. So if you're studying for the Women's Certified Specialist Exam or just interested in learning more about pelvic health research, we've got you covered. Hey everyone, welcome back to an article by Annalie Gutke and Josephson and Bergetta Oberg on pelvic girdle pain and lumbar pain in relation to postpartum depressive symptoms. This study was performed in order to investigate the association of lumbopelvic pain and PPD, as well as differences in the prevalence of depressive symptoms in women without lumbopelvic pain compared to women with pelvic girdle pain and lumbar pain. So we know that these two complaints are both very common, depression and low back pain. One in four women has low back pain in the postpartum period, and 10 to 20% of women have depressive illness during pregnancy or postpartum. One study reported back pain to be associated with a two-fold increase in the risk of postpartum depression, which is pretty huge. This study was also just a survey sent through the mail, and there wasn't a clinical exam for low back pain given, so the authors really wanted to expand on that. Okay, so on to this study. They actually had a few subgroups of low back pain in order to develop a more specific treatment strategy. This subgroup was low back pain, pelvic girdle pain, and is mostly experienced between the posterior iliac crest and the gluteal fold, predominantly near the sacroiliac joints, and it can radiate to the posterior thigh. We know that pelvic girdle pain tends to present differently than generalized low back pain. We also know that there are many varying groups of pelvic girdle pain, including pubic symphysis pain and that term lumbopelvic pain. So that term lumbopelvic pain is typically used where there's no distinction made between pelvic girdle pain and lumbar pain. For all patients, this article and others we spoke about encourage that a full clinical evaluation of lumbopelvic pain, including pelvic pain provocation tests, neurological examinations, and considering characteristics of lumbar pain as well as pelvic girdle pain in order to identify discogenic pain and other red flag conditions. One valid screening measure of postpartum depression symptoms is the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale. Recognize that that scale is not diagnostic, but it's a screening measure. So we're not going to assume a high score indicates depressive illness, but it indicates a need for more assessment. A primary feature of this questionnaire is its exclusion of items that might reflect physical discomfort, which might confuse depression with the somatic effects of pregnancy and childbirth. So let's jump into the materials and the methods. This was performed in Sweden, and this study is a part of a larger cohort study. The cohort compromised all pregnant women consecutively registered at two antenatal care clinics housed in a socio-demographically diverse community of 26,000 people. Swedish-speaking women with an expected normal pregnancy, which was determined by midwives, were approached for participation between gestational weeks 12 and 18. Women were excluded if they had a systemic locomotor system disease, verified diagnosis of any spinal problems in the previous two months, any history of fractures, neoplasm, or any previous spinal, pelvic, or femur surgeries. All women in the cohort completed one questionnaire at the clinic between gestational weeks 12 and 18 and one questionnaire three months postpartum. The initial questionnaire was for background data, and the postpartum questionnaire also included the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale and questions about delivery. 
Women with any experience of lumbopelvic pain answered questions about their sick leave due to lumbopelvic pain and whether lumbopelvic pain had impeded their work during the past five years. Now let's talk about the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale as I hadn't heard of this prior to this article with exception to a course and I never actually looked at the scale. So this is a 10 item self-report scale specifically designed to screen for postpartum depression in community samples. Each item is scored in a four point scale, so zero to three, with a total score range of zero to 30. The scale rates the intensity of depressive symptoms present within the previous seven days. One study suggested a cutoff score of more or equal to 13. The authors noted that with a threshold of more or equal to 10, the sensitivity for detecting major depression had been reported to be 100% with a specificity of 82%. With a cutoff of 11.5, the sensitivity was 96% and the specificity of 49%. So let's go through the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale. Now, this scale is from Great Britain, so it's pronounced like Edinburgh versus Edinburgh. So for any of my Pittsburgh people, this is pronounced like the town of Edinburgh in PA, which borough is actually spelled borough, unlike this one. PA has a lot of weird towns and pronunciation, so that could be a whole podcast episode, to be honest. But let's go through the scale. The questions include, I have felt happy with options such as yes all the time, yes most of the time, no not often, or no not at all. It goes into questions regarding the past seven days. All of these questions have the options of one, as much as I always could, not quite so much now, definitely not so much now, and not at all. So here are the questions. One, I have been able to laugh and see the funny sides of things. Two, I have looked forward with enjoyment to things. Three, I have blamed myself unnecessarily when things go wrong. Four, I have been anxious or worried for no reason. Five, I have felt scared or panicky for no reason. Six, things have been getting on top of me. Seven, I have felt so unhappy and I have been having difficulty with sleeping. Eight, I have felt sad or miserable. And nine, I have been so unhappy that I've been crying. Then there was also a 10th question of the thought of harming myself has occurred to me with the options of being yes often, sometimes, hardly never, or never. The scoring for each question is different as if you don't notice, some would possibly produce positive points and others would produce negative points. The scale has a max of 30 points with possible depression at 10 or greater and an emphasis on further evaluation for any number 10 answers with implied self-harm concern. The participants were classified into four groups based on the type of pain experienced. One being no lumbopelvic pain, two being pelvic girdle pain, three being lumbar pain, and four being pelvic girdle pain and lumbar pain, so a combined pain. Women were determined to have no lumbopelvic pain if they had no subjective lumbopelvic complaints or fewer than two positive pelvic pain provocation tests and no lumbar effect from repeated movements according to the mechanical diagnosis and therapy or the MDT classification. Assignment to the three lumbopelvic pain groups was made following examination by a specialized physiotherapist who is blinded to the results of the depressive evaluation. The exam included a standard history focusing on characteristics of lumbar pain and pelvic girdle pain, mechanical assessment of the lumbar spine based on the MDT protocol, pelvic pain and provocation tests, the active straight leg raising test, neurological examinations, which was including the straight leg raise test, sensation, reflex testing for the lower extremities, and a hip rotation range of motion test. Pain location was indicated by the woman on a pain drawing. 
the pelvic girdle criteria were two or more positive pelvic pain provocation tests, absence of centralization or peripheralization phenomena during repeated movement assessment, and no lumbar effects from repeated movements according to the MDT classification. The pain onset would be during pregnancy or within three weeks after delivery. Lumbar pain was then classified based on a change in pain and or a change in range of motion from repeated movements and different positions of the lumbar spine based on experience of centralization and peripheralization phenomena during exam and less than two positive pelvic pain provocation tests. That pain onset would be during pregnancy or within three weeks after delivery. For results, 267 women remained for analysis after exclusions and patient declines for participation. After delivery, 87 of those 267 women, so 33%, experienced some form of lumbopelvic pain, and of those 87, 44 had pelvic girdle pain, 27 had lumbar pain, and 14 had combined pain. Using a 10 or greater cutoff scale as the scale recommended, 44 of the 267 women, so that's 16%, experienced depressive symptoms postpartum. Of those 44 women, 27 were classified with some type of lumbopelvic pain. So 27 of 267 women, 10% of the cohort, both had lumbopelvic pain and a total score of more than 10 on the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale. Women with lumbopelvic pain had a higher prevalence of depressive symptoms than those without lumbopelvic pain. 22 women, so 8% of the cohort, scored with more than 13 on the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale. There was a higher prevalence of depressive symptoms among women with pelvic girdle pain compared with women without lumbopelvic pain only when using a cutoff score of more than 10 or equal to 10. There was also a higher prevalence of depressive symptoms among women with lumbar pain compared with women without lumbopelvic pain. The strongest associations were found between depressive symptoms and the three classifications of lumbopelvic pain. The associations remained significant after adjusting for parity, urine leakage, and BMI. So they found that postpartum depressive symptoms were three times more prevalent in women with lumbopelvic pain than in those without, yielding a comorbidity rate of 10% in the cohort. This article goes into a discussion regarding their choice of the cutoff score, with the general gist being that the prevalence in their study, which is 8%, is similar to that reported in the Scandinavian samples, those studies having used a higher cutoff score of 13 or more. Postpartum depression usually resolves spontaneously, but if untreated, may persist in up to 25% of women for a full year after delivery. The risk of depression relapse in a future pregnancy is close to 50%. The risk of pelvic girdle pain relapse in subsequent pregnancy has also been reported to be 85%. So from a preventative perspective, a future challenge is to investigate whether pain, depressive symptoms, or their coexistence predicts persistent or recurrent pain. I think it's important to also recognize that in non-pregnant population, an association has been found in in the persistence of disabling low back pain and a high level of psychological distress. The persistence of low back pain has been found to be more common in women. Disturbed sleep has been shown to result in an increase of musculoskeletal pain, tenderness, and fatigue, even in healthy people. So that being said, we know postpartum people tend to struggle with getting good quality sleep. So remember these factors in our postpartum and our healthy populations. In primary care, it's been shown that pain and depression predict each other symmetrically. It's been reported that 25% of women with morbidity postpartum did not seek help from health professionals, although 49% would have liked more help or more advice. 
Based on our findings for high comorbidity of these complications, it seems important to use screening tools for both depressive symptoms and lumbopelvic pain at postpartum follow-ups. Being a provider that sees these populations, it's important to be able to have these conversations and recognize that your patients may not want to. I worked with a really amazing therapist who encouraged all of her patients to feel free to contact her at any point of their care or even after discharge with any changes in bladder, bowel, sexual function, or pain and mood changes. I love that that allows people to place the importance of a mood change right next to the importance of musculoskeletal ones, as well as placing it in a frame that leaves it open. I've since gotten a lot of messages from patients six months out from seeing me just about mood changes. So just a thought for you, this might not be something that you could actually put into practice as easily as it requires you to have good relationships with their PCP and GYN, as well as have some resources for mental health services. I'm sure everyone listening is a great empathetic listening ear to patients. We are very likely not very good mental health therapists to these people. So I just find that we have more actual clinic time and rapport with patients than other providers sometimes do. So I offer to be a buffer if they need one. Anyways, excuse my tangents today. Let's get to some of the take-home points. Postpartum depressive symptoms were three times more prevalent in women with lumbopelvic pain than in those without, yielding a comorbidity rate of 10% in the cohort. Also, subgroups of women with lumbopelvic pain, so that's pelvic girdle pain, lumbar pain, the combined pelvic girdle and lumbar pain, had a three to six-fold increase in likelihood of screening positive for depressive symptoms compared to those without lumbopelvic pain. Women with lumbar pain had more depressive symptoms than women without lumbopelvic pain when applying a cutoff score of more than 10 or more than equal to 13. So this was in contrast to women with pelvic girdle pain who only screened positive when applying a cutoff score of more or equal to 10. And there you have it for the Cookie 2007 article. Next up, we're onto an article about pelvic floor exercises during and after pregnancy, and this is a systematic review on their role in preventing pelvic floor dysfunction. This is authored by Harvey et al. in 2003. So as always, thank you for listening to Tangents and All. I hope to see you all listening at our next one. Bye, pelvic people.